I might as well circle back and tell you the title that went through my mind, and it's Finding Your Own Way. As I was saying that I was reflecting on the Buddha who, in his, in his holy search, his holy longing for a reliable refuge, for relief, for freedom, he had no idea which way to go. He went his own way. He was not busy becoming a, that ideal that often is held exemplar of the Dharma. He didn't, uh, he just happened to find a, a nice little Bodhi tree. You know, I'm, I'm simplifying it a little bit, but he found a Bodhi tree, he sat, he walked, he ate enough food to be healthy, and he just kept following that very strong impulse to awaken to find some, some place in himself that could not be taken away because he saw the reality of sickness, aging, dying. And he, he did see an example of simplicity and renunciation, but nevertheless, he made it up. He went his own way. And I think there's something really instructive in that because there are about, I think there are about seven billion of us now and yet there are, there are four or five big world teachings or religions. And it seems a little crazy to me to try to fit oneself into one of these big, these big models of awakening. They were not meant to be used in such a way. They were meant to be used as a, as a support as, a, as tools, as skillful means for us to, in our own life, out of our own circumstances, find our own way. And to find, especially, find our, finding our own way is not mean, does not mean figuring it out. I think the last time I was here, a few weeks ago, I, I don't know if I quoted Ted Williams, but I love this little quote someone offered me. Ted Williams, a famous baseball player, he says, if you don't think too good, don't think too much. <laughs> and most of us don't think too good. <laughs> most of us tend to be thinking obsessively, obsessively planning, all driven by the, an urge to, to be happy, a lot of planning, a lot of imagining, a lot of fantasy, a lot of time trying to figure things out, a lot of time recreating distorted images of ourselves that, that then are playing through our mind, and, and often mistaking as you know, I like to talk about mistaking these versions of our place, ourselves that play through our mind, mistaking them for who we are. When a thought of ourselves, any thought, even the most grandiose thought, even the most beautiful thought, could never capture your, who you are, what you are, could never help you find in yourself that 
that which is sacred, that which is whole, already timelessly from the very beginning. Most of the thinking is of the nature of supporting the view that there is a conflict that we are having that we need to solve. It does not usually move in the direction of of trust, of of intuition, of open-heartedness to the discovery that the point of life is always arrived at in the very moment we're sitting. It's constantly telling us that our way is tomorrow, is where we're going, what we are becoming. The Buddha called it uh, bhava, this tendency to be, to be framing our existence not so much about who we are fundamentally, but where we are going. And it's all driven by the sense of somehow I'm not okay. Just curious, any of you ever have that feeling? (laughs) The only way you have the evidence in real time for not okay is through your thinking. And when you think a certain way, it registers as feelings that tend to support that. But if you, as as many traditions offer us, when you just for some time keep your mind somewhat free of those preoccupations or those kind of chronic views about ourselves, about reality, about the world. If you suspend that for a moment, keep your mind for a moment or a few moments or somewhat continuously free of its usual preoccupations, it becomes, it shows itself its natural quietness your mind becomes quiet. And if you, if you stay with that quietness, you start to feel not so easily definable, except with the, the description, I'm awake, or I'm aware, or I'm curious, all the, the, or I'm, I care, all the heart qualities, the, the I need, this person needs help, or that, per, that, that, that's, where that's where my heartbreak is, that's where my action needs to be. It tends to, we tend to find, we find our own way, not usually by following that kind of obsessive thinking, the figuring out mind, we find it by returning to the extent that we can, whatever way your, your way is, no matter what your life looks like, we find it more easily when our mind is a little bit more free of its preoccupations, when it's empty, open, welcoming. It's when our hearts, our minds are open that that, that gravitational field, that gravitational field of the Dharma wakes up where we just get those intuitions, we get that aha moment, where, where we're just led in a way. But most of us have been taught to, to obliviate that kind of 
openness, to not trust it at all, to not trust that you know your way, to be completely dependent on external authorities, dependent on our thinking mind that usually leads us to, I think, I've, I think the three things that it mostly leads to anxiety, because it's often time-based. It leads to confusion, because there are always competing voices in our mind. And it leads to doubt. It leads to uncertainty, that feeling, I don't know what to do. But, it, but it's not just the great doubt that says, I don't know what to do and, and show me. It's the, it's the skeptical doubt that just becomes crushed, becomes collapsed in, the, in a state of confusion. And, and out of that comes a lot of um, depressive feelings and more anxiety. So it seems no matter what your path, what, what, no matter what your way, whatever allows you to touch into that place of quietness seems to be the key. And when it comes to the Buddha's teaching, that, one fla that particular flavor of teaching, it is, uh, it's not designed for you to become a Buddhist. It's designed for you to become a Buddha. And the Buddha just means awake, aware, open to this capacity to live with, with love and compassion and discernment and the capacity to act very wisely and lovingly in this world. It's not meant to turn you into a good Buddhist. I always tell people the Buddha was not a Buddhist. The Buddha was awake, and he was awake to the Dharma. He, by opening that tight fist of his mind, his confused mind, by opening again and again to reality, his intuition shined through. His and one of the elements that shines through is intelligence, discernment. It, we just start to see clearly. You could say the nature of our mind when we are present, it's both empty. Notice right now, your mind when you don't think is empty. And its nature is clarity. We see clearly. Right now we just see with, through the through the filter, through the prism of the senses, we see, we hear, we smell, we taste. But that gets, that, that we're available to that simple fact. And, it, and part of that fact comes with the intelligence to know this, the context of this is I'm functioning in the role of teacher tonight. You're functioning in the role of listener or yogi. We're playing different roles, but we're all here together we can start, we can comprehend that. And when I sense that we're, we're here together and I comprehend that, and I don't add anything to it other than, than be interested in that, because interest also comes when my mind is free of its preoccupation, I become, and maybe you do too, when you're here, awake, expressing that nature, I just start to inevitably care about you. I feel connected to you. 
I feel connected to the people outside the room. I'm, I'm taken by the difference between our experience here and perhaps the, the people who are living along in, the, in this community along us. And I, I so appreciate their laughter and their sense of community. All of that I, I'm more sensitive to when the brush of memory is a little bit quieter. And I'm, I'm struck by, by each person here and, and feel a kind of desire to give a, a deep welcoming to each person, to each person's, every part of you, each, each of your um, ethnic origins, your orientations, your genders, your height, your depth, whatever it is about you, your, your craziness, it's all welcome here. And that, that's what flows from a consciousness that's, that is, um, that's simply present. And hopefully, it's worked for me up to this point, not always, but I tend to be a little bit, except the nights where I'm caught up in my, my monkey mind and my Ted Williams mind, I tend to act more appropriately when there's openness. I tend to be a lot less self-conscious and I'm able to, to connect a little easier. So the nature of the nature of our mind, free of its preoccupations, we have everything we need. I think that's a little bit of what Thich Nhat Hanh meant when he said, you who are the richest person on earth who've been going around begging for a living, stop being the destitute child. And in fact, the Buddha, when he, as he was dying, he, his last words, I think I have it here, I usually keep it one of the napkins on that page. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the <laughs> This was what he said to Ananda, his his cousin and chief uh, attendant. He said, "Therefore Ananda, be ye lamps unto yourself. Be ye a refuge to yourselves." Betake yourselves to no external refuge. Hold fast to the truth as a lamp. Hold fast to the truth as a refuge. Look not for a refuge in anyone beside yourself. And those, Ananda, who either now or after I am dead shall be a lamp unto themselves, shall betake themselves to no external refuge, but holding fast to the truth as their lamp and holding fast to the truth as their refuge shall not look for the refuge to anyone besides themselves. It is they who shall reach the very utmost height, but they must be anxious to learn. So the, t the teachings of the Buddha are designed to be a way a model for how to brush that dust of memory, how to be able to unfurl our heart and mind to have as our own light, our refuge, to discover our own way, to, to find our own unique expression of life. And how do, how do those teachings do that? It essentially asks us they invite us, 
and they're really an invitation. They're, in fact, the, the other thing that I'm always struck by, a uh, chant that I did every night on, a, on my first couple three-month practice periods, we did this long chant, and one section of the chant was this, these words, ehi paseko opanayeko pachatanwe ditapu winuiti. It says, for those, for those who, are, who can be taught and who are interested to come and see for yourselves. It's not about come and adopt the view of a Buddhist. It's come and clear your mind of its preoccupations, clear your heart of its defilements that keep you in a state of confusion, and then see for yourself what your way is. It won't look like anybody else's. And, the, and a way that the Buddha offered to see for yourselves was the, what we refer to as the fourth noble truth or the noble eightfold path of what's in Pali is sila samadhi panya. It is the purification of our actions. It's being care caring and careful with our livelihood, that we don't engage in, in intoxicants and weapons, in killing living beings, that we engage in our, in, uh, in our actions, of we, we take care with our speech, that we, don't, we speak truthfully, harmoniously, timely, for the benefit of whoever we're speaking to, um, not getting not zooming in idle gossip and chatter, that we, we some way purify our actions of our body, our speech, and our mind so that we can experience through the goodness that arises from our actions, we can experience a heart that is glad, a kind of uh, a happiness that comes when we act in ways that are non-harming sometimes described as the bliss of blamelessness that, and offering to others, which then gives us the feedback of, of a certain greater degree of safety. We give others the gift of what the Buddha called the gift of fearlessness, where others don't have to be afraid of us because we, we are acting in a way that's, uh, we provide others a, a feeling of safety because you, what you see is what you get and and you, to the extent that you're able to, you, you don't cause harm. And that gives off a fragrance. It gives off the fragrance of safety for others. It gives off the fragrance of, of happiness. And people tend to, tend to come closer to those who, who um, act wisely. So that's a, a central part of our practice. I think maybe even last week Mary referred to the, to the Maha uh, Parinibbana Sutta. The Mahaparinibbana Sutta is the Sutta on Nirvana, and it's in that where the, where the Buddha talks about talks about how, at least in his template of what allows us to open enough to be able to hear our own way, that um, that purity of action makes it possible for the second part of the Noble Eightfold Path, which is purity of mind, which is to be able to train our attention. If you, if you don't have, 
if your action is not harmonious, then it's, it's not possible to have your mind settle. And if your mind is not able to settle, then it's very difficult to, to hear that intuition, that to hear the, the voice of wisdom and the voice of love in your heart, the voice of direction. It's hard to follow your heartbreak when you're, when you're so uh, agitated. And so the ground of being able to, to listen in a way to our way is to, is to start with really being careful with your actions. To not cloud your perception with intoxicants. Not be so caught up in, in uh, the constant state of the craving mind. Really work with your, to the extent that you can, with all the love in your heart, but work with your addictions. And when I say work with addictions, it's, it's intoxicants of alcohol, drugs, etc. But it's also our screens. Our screens are a great source of agitation. Uh, they're wonderful tools, but we've completely, I think I can speak generally, we've lost a, a sense of balance with them. It's really hard to, to stop. It's really hard to listen. It's really hard to know that we're the richest person on earth. Our agitation constantly is telling us that we need to keep, go, keep shopping. We need to keep going. As, just, as one teacher said, the consumer machine needs to keep us greedy to keep going. And it's the same with, our, with the things that we do compulsively. They don't give us the rest. They give us what the Buddha called misplaced faith. We put our faith in our, so many sources of relief that then leave in their wake more addiction. They leave in their wake more dissatisfaction, more shame, more, more disgust. Because we don't like ourselves when we're at the effect of, of external or even internal factors. But the good news is, is that we can, we can unstick. We can, we can unplug. So, at least in the Buddha's time, just work with your speech. Work with your action. Work with intoxicants. Work with your sexuality. How much reverberation from, from relationships that are, that are not quite right. I had so much of that in my younger years. Just, just following lust and, and somehow blinded by it and then feeling all kinds of regret. And then I had to actually swear off a sensual, sexual relationship for a few years until I until I felt that I, was, I could do it really in a way where not only I didn't cause any harm to myself or anybody else, but I could actually connect with an appropriate person, which was, I tended to, to attract just, it, it, it was so uneven. Of course, we all learn on, with the effects of every other relationship we've ever had, but it was, it was from being unskillful to some degree. So anyway, this is just common sense, the Eightfold Path, the purification of our actions. And then the, the practice that we do here is just all about brushing the dust of memory so that our hearts can open. We keep directing our attention 
every moment of every day to each presently arising thing to the extent that we can. You, from the moment you wake up in the morning, you resolve, I am going to bring as much mindful attention as I can to, to my life, because this, this is really the navigator of the entire path. Without it, here's what Noshul Ken Rinpoche says. I'll read his whole passage. He says, homage to, the, to mindfulness. I am the sword of mindfulness. Look, friends, when you see me, please be mindful, or be mindful. I am the mirror of mindfulness. I mirror your careful attention. Look clearly and see into the essence of mind. Right now, don't wait for this. Mindfulness is the root of the Dharma. Mindfulness is the body of the practice, the fortress of the mind. It is the friend of aware wisdom. It is the support of all the different traditions and practices. Lack of mindfulness will allow the negative forces to overcome you. Without mindfulness, you will be swept away by laziness. Lack of mindfulness is the creator of evil deeds. Lack of mindfulness can accomplish nothing. Lack of mindfulness is a pile of dung. Without mindfulness, you sleep in an ocean of pee. Without mindfulness, you are a heartless corpse. Friends, please be mindful. By the aspiration of the lamas, the buddhas, the bodhisattvas, may all friends attain stable mindfulness. Do you notice he uses, of course this is a translation, but he uses the word aspiration. We can't even hear that aspiration. That's what the Buddha had. He had an aspiration to awaken. He had a holy longing. We can't hear that holy longing when we are busy trying to figure out what our next computer is going to look like. Who our next date is going to be. Not that any of those things are problematic to think about, but the tendency is to have that misplaced faith in, get in things, in people, in situations, and in obsessing about what's next. And so we, we have to at least brush the dust of memory or open our hearts to be able to hear those aspirations, that longing to find our way that won't look like anybody else's. I can't do that when, I'm, when I, my biggest identity like Amy Krauss Rosenthal said, when my biggest identity is busy. You name the question, busy's the answer. She says. <laughs> she says, I know we're terribly busy doing terribly important things, but more often than not, it's our first knee-jerk response. And just for those who haven't heard about her before, she says, she asks the question, have people always been this busy or identified themselves with busyness? Did, were cavemen this busy? This week is crazy. I've got 10 caves to draw on. Can I meet you by the fire next week? And, she, you know, she says it's all about coffee bars and coffee's luscious byproduct, productivity, the joy of doing, accomplishing, crossing off. All those things are wonderful but they often obscure that holy longing. 
that longing to be at home, to be free, to feel a reliable sense of relief that cannot be found in any other moment than this one. It, it's not the kind of thing that you want to postpone. And our mind is constantly postponing, putting things off until we retire. And then we, you know, that, you know what happens after that. Our shelf life. <laughs> so friends, please be mindful. So just because we've run out of time, I, this is a big topic. I, I'll just say briefly that, that, that purification of action makes possible to train our attention to be here and to, to develop this, uh, this strength of heart and strength of mind to stay long enough to to let the light of our attention shine and see that what we've been searching for is what's searching, this, this light of our own awareness. And then for us to be able to seek more clearly from, that, from this position, you could say this positionless position of awareness, that we can see more clearly all the ways that we run from this silence, this sense of presence, that we can see in a really meticulous way how we go from a, a thought to, to imagine worlds, how we go from a, a smell to, to being driven to, as I used to be, driven to the ice cream parlor on 24th Street when I lived, in the, when I lived on 20th and Dolores. I'd have a thought, pleasant feeling, desire, out the door, down three flights of stairs, into the car, up to 24th Street. Then I'd be in the middle of the street at 10.30 at night with an ice cream cone, feeling completely embarrassed and self-conscious about having been so comfortable in bed and being driven around. This is a mind that was not so mindful. Not that you shouldn't have ice cream, but, but to be discerning. So to have a kind of mental strength to see where you're going with your body, your speech, and your mind. And never forget that what you're really longing for is what's longing, that heart that wants to be at rest. And then by seeing the way your mind moves, it, you seeing your habits, seeing all the innocent things that you've picked up from this, this mad cult that we live in, consumer cult, when you see how your mind inclines that way, that you, you regard yourself with mercy and kindness because it's... We're just, in some ways, totally at the effect of conditioning set in motion long before we knew what we were going to do. But in also seeing your mind and, and the way it moves, you liberate your mind from, its, from being bound by it, being caught in it, and you learn how to keep letting go. And as we often share the words of Ajahn Chai, he says, if you let go a little bit into this living present, and, you'll have a little peace. And if you let go a lot into this living present, you'll have a lot of peace. And if you let go completely and realize that your life is an unfolding of present moments, that it has no place that you're going. It's always arrived at here. No matter what you're doing or what you're creating, it's all happening here. If you do that, you'll have complete peace and freedom. You'll stop fighting so much with reality. Now, I editorialized a little bit. That's, I didn't, didn't do Ajahn Chah justice in the way I described it, but that's, 
But that's the gist of it, I think. So may all of us come to peace. May all of us find our way. And I'll end with the uh, beautiful expression of our way uh, from Ashvagosha. The Dharma of the Buddha does not require a person to go into homelessness, to resign from the world, unless he or she is called upon to do so. But the Dharma of the Buddha requires every person to free themselves of the illusions of our, the imagined versions of ourselves, to cleanse one's heart, to give up one's dependency on pleasure, and to lead a life of harmlessness, of righteousness. And whatever people do, whether they remain in the world as artisans, merchants, or officers of the queen or king, this is a little dated, as you may know, or retire from the world and devote themselves to a life of meditation, let them put their whole heart into their task. Let them be diligent and energetic. And if, like the lotus flower, which grows out of muddy water, but remains untouched by the mud, they engage in life without cherishing envy or hatred. And if they live in the world, not a life of self, but a life of truth, then surely joy, peace, and bliss will dwell in their hearts and minds. So may all of us dwell in our hearts and minds and find our own way with love and joy and caring. And may our practice today and every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. Thanks so much for listening. Please be mindful. Don't want to end up in that ocean of dung. <laughs> anyway, thanks for your generosity. Thanks for your practice. Um, please um, remember that August 12th, half day, August 20th, day long. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.